I'm Jake Corley. And I'm Mark LaCour. You're listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast brought to you by Red Wing. This is the show for busy oil professionals who want to quickly keep their fingers on the pulse of the industry. Welcome back to another episode of Oil & Gas This Week. You guys are listening to episode 106. Wow, 106, Jake. We still haven't done a 100th episode. We're still at six episodes. Trust me, everybody out there, it's in the works. We're, we're actually looking for a sponsor for our live event. So if you'd like to get your company into our gigantic global oil and gas audience, uh, reach out to Jake and I. We'd love to. We'd love to help you. Uh, we'd love to have you help us sponsor our live event, which we just can't seem to find a sponsor for. But we're working on it. We're still working on it. Preferably before we get to episode two hundred. Yeah, that would be kind of embarrassing. Maybe, or maybe we could do one hundred, <laughs> two hundred back to back the same day. Uh, Might as well. Yeah. Speaking of stuff like that, Jake, you know what we have now? We have our own internet radio station. Our own internet radio station. So oil and gas this week is now available twenty four seven. 365 days a year. You can listen to Jake and I talk all day, all night long if you want. Um, go to any of the radio streaming apps and, uh, and just look for Oil & Gas This Week. It should pop up, but we also have a, a link that Jake will put in the show notes. So if you want to listen to us 24-7, uh, go check it out. It's actually pretty cool. I gave my wife the link and I said, if you're ever missing me, here's me 24-7. <laughs> That's actually pretty funny, Jake. <laughs> she goes, I don't miss you that much. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, good stuff. And then the other thing, I just want to give a big shout out to Aaron Mooney with uh, Com Engineering. Uh, when we're getting ready to talk about uh, tr- Trump's executive orders, one of the news stories, and when literally the day that he signed it, somehow Aaron managed to get his hands on the actual executive order. So we have a copy of it, and Jake will stick a link in the show notes f- for you to as well. This way you can actually read the, the actual art, um, artic- article that we're going to talk about. So we are going to be on the road. We've got a couple of events going on this month, don't we? Yeah, um, we're yeah in April we're gonna be in Tulane in a couple of weeks speaking, um, and then it seems like we're gonna be somewhere else. I can't remember. We had so any of our universities that are out there listening to us, we had some um, just a bunch of stuff happen in April, and then all of y'all start finals in May. So we had a couple of universities that we're trying to get on the books to go speak at in April, and what we end up doing is having to push them out to the fall. I think we have three or four universities already booked for the fall. Um, and so if, you know, if you're out there, you'd like to get us in front of your, your school group, your university, whatever, reach out to Jake and I, it'll have to be in the fall because we're, we're booked up till, you know, till the summer. Um, or we could even do something during the summer, but actually most of y'all like to actually not be in class during the summer. Um, so, so we have some good stuff going on, but it's gonna be fun to go to Tulane and speak in front of that group there. Yeah. And all that's made possible by our 2017 on the road sponsor, Lee Hector Harrison. Yep. And so they're global experts in talent management. LHH is currently helping 75% of the Fortune 500 oil and gas companies simplify the complexity of leadership and workforce transformation. Yeah, we're also going to be speaking at Geo Convention. You know, I've been saying this for a long time. Reach out to Dustin. This, this is where you need to get your company. Go, go grab some boost space if he still has some left. Uh, Jake and I will be doing the, the uh, uh, speaking at the lunch there. Um, but this is a great time for you to get in front of a bunch of potential prospects for you, a good use of your marketing money. And we're also going to be at uh, National Oil Varco, Jake. Uh, uh, you and I uh, will be broadcasting live from the Red Wing booth um, at uh, OTC. Um I think it's the second, I think the Tuesday we're going to be speaking live from the Red Wing booth. But if you go into OTC, um, make sure you come check us out. You can actually meet us in person, see us live. And if you want to go to OTC and you don't have the, uh, you know, your company's not picking you up tickets, you need to sign up for my newsletter. We always give out free passes to OTC there. Um, and then you have the whole Rice Alliance. What's that, Jake? So every year, uh, well, I don't want to say every year. I know at least the last couple of years, uh, the Rice Alliance has uh, put on 
a startup event actually at OTC for oil and gas and energy related startups to pitch. I think last year there was probably like 45 or 50 different startups. I would imagine it's probably going to be somewhere close to that number uh, this year. Uh, I was actually thinking about pitching, but I missed the deadline, which I think you guys heard in the last episode. Uh, No worries. It's always a fun time. Come out and check out a lot of the new innovative startups in the scene. Um, It's it's all sorts of stuff. You know, it's stuff on every every part of the uh, every, I guess, the whole spectrum of the industry is going to be represented there. Um, so it's always good. Plus it's free food. Yeah. And it's also a place for you to see what's coming, right? Cause a lot of this stuff, not a lot of it, some of this stuff's actually going to go commercial and enter the oil and gas industry where here's your chance to get to see it before anybody else does and see if maybe it helps benefit either you or your company. Yep. Uh, let's do news stories. All right. So, uh, I guess the, the, the biggest story of the week is that Trump signed an executive order on promoting energy independence and economic growth. So a lot of people are kind of up in arms about this, but we've actually read the order. So let's talk about that. Yeah. So for all the people out there who went nuts, you obviously didn't read it. Um, this was much more toned down than what a lot of people thought he was going to do. And, uh, and he's just, he's just common sense. So, so kind of hit the highlights, Jake. So let's talk first. What, what did the order not do? So we did not withdraw the U S from the Paris climate agreement. So we're still in that. Um, and it did not start the process of repeal for the EPA's endangerment findings on carbon emissions. Yeah. So, so what did it actually do? So first it initiated a formal review of Obama's administration's um, clean power plan or CPP, which is likely to be the first step towards kind of ending all of this together. Secondly, the executive order removed the ban on coal leases on federal land, which they're saying is kind of a win for some Trump supporters in certain regions, but we can kind of talk a little bit more about that later in a, f- a follow-on article. Um, third, the executive order revisits Obama administration's estimate of the social cost of the carbon tax. Yeah, that was. Or the, I mean, the carbon. I mean, yeah, that's that was nuts. That's when they were really overreaching and 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 you know, start to do things like skew the actual truth about carbon dioxide. Keep going. Uh, fourth, the administration will revisit the Obama administration's rules on forcing drillers to detect and stop methane leakage. But since drillers were already financially incentivized to stop this leakage, anyways. The rules were often seen as kind of overkill. Fifth, uh, we'll reduce pressures to factor in climate change for the National Environmental Policy Act, NEPA or NEPA. Um, and this is one of those esoteric things that could end up being very important for reducing uh, regulation. Uh, but most likely that's going to be challenged in the courts. Uh, and then finally, the order also repealed a number of smaller Obama orders on how the government deals with climate change while adding the requirement that agencies report back within 180 days of any rules uh, that have been made uh, impeding domestic energy production. Yeah, which I think I think it's a good thing. I think you should have that in every agency. Yeah, and this is really this is the part that I think is really good. So basically, um, every government um, organization has to self-check and report back on every rule or or law that they have implemented that can hurt domestic energy production. This way the organizations themselves that know what they do, you know, or or the experts at it are able to get back. And this way our current administration have a list of all the rules and laws out there that have actually hurt our domestic energy production. They can figure out what they want to do there. I think this is great. So uh, the next article is kind of a follow-on, and it's kind of like tacking on to here. Uh, and it, it's stating that the Trump's reversal of the Obama climate change policies could actually hurt oil and gas companies due to the deregulation of 
uh, a, lot, a lot of the coal regulations. Yeah, so this is this is gets really, really, really interesting. You got to kind of think through this, and the thing I think is really cool, you know, you, you know, we have both uh, Rex Tillerson and um, Rick Perry uh, as as very high ranking members of Trump's cabinet. Both of those are very pro oil, um, and the 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 funny thing is. Um, both of them are kind of helping Trump tone down some of the stuff that he's trying to do because they understand the bigger picture. If, if we start, um, um, looking at, um, so, so we've had a decline in using coal in the U S and in Europe for, 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 for decades. Right. Um, and we've moved over to natural gas to generate electricity. If we somehow, uh, start, uh, changing that mix where so let's say maybe more coal is being used to generate electricity or not even more but the same amount because every year we use less and less let's say that stops happening we use the same amount well now there's still emissions that have to be taken care of and those emissions then um, will have to become from somewhere else if we don't reduce those emissions by uh, getting rid of the coal where do we reduce those emissions and the next biggest generator of a lot of this stuff is is um, uh, crude oil refiners. So by actually doing this, it could actually put a layer of, of fiscal responsibility on the crude oil refineries, which would then be transferred, of course, to the public, to the, the prices at the at the fuel pump. And so you got to really kind of think all this stuff through. And the good thing is for, for, for our current administration is they have some of the smartest people in the world <laughs> in there. I mean, Rex Tillerson, he understands business. I mean, he ran ExxonMobil successfully forever. Um, so it, it's, it's I, I think we have a good balance here. The other thing that, that comes into this that people don't often think of is one of the things that we're looking at doing is actually placing a tax on imported crude. And short term wise, that's going to be a hard one for the public to actually see the benefit in because the price of the pumps could go up, which no politician ever wants. But our current administration doesn't fit into normal politicians, <laughs> you know, the type of actions. But longer term wise, if we do place a tax on imported crude, I, you know, in some ways it's almost good for the country. We're going to either figure out another place to get that heavy crude we like, like Deepwater Gulf of Mexico, or we go retrofit our refineries. Um, and, and then we will further lessen the ability for large crude producers such as Russia and OPEC to actually have any influence in our economy. So all good stuff. It's interesting to watch where this stuff is going. It's way too early to tell what it's going to look like. Um, but yeah, you wouldn't think that off the top of your head that reversing Obama's climate change policy could actually hurt the oil and gas industry. In some places it could. And so once again, we have some people in place right now that make sure they think through this. The general rule of thumb is that a one cent either reduction or increase in the price of gas at the pump would either like cost the consumer or uh, save the consumers $1 billion a year. Well, I, w um, I want to kind of go back to this article, this one about the, the Trump reversal of Obama, Obama climate change. So I, when I was reading through the article, one of the things that uh, jumped out at me is they actually talked about carbon pollution. Anytime an article that you read or hear somebody talk and they, they call carbon dioxide carbon pollution, you know that article's biased. Carbon dioxide is not carbon pollution. Carbon dioxide is vital. Without carbon dioxide, plants couldn't live. Um, carbon dioxide. We couldn't live. Yeah, we couldn't live. And carbon dioxide is a very, very slight greenhouse grass, gas. It's about 4% of the greenhouse effect. And, you know, when I say greenhouse effect, a lot of people think the greenhouse effect is a man-made effect. That's a natural effect. Our planet is actually warmer than it should be because of the greenhouse effect. And so, um, you know, just regardless of what side politically you fall upon, you always need to look at this stuff and look at it with the facts because there's people that skew the facts on both sides to try to push their political agenda. And so this article is actually skewed. Um, but there were some good numbers in here, but they skewed those good numbers. All right, I'll get off my high, my, my high horse right now. Now we go to the uh, lawmakers.
So lawmakers can make uh, America great again by unlocking our oil and gas supply. Uh, that's this next article. It's saying the Heritage Foundation research has estimated that unlocking substantial portions of federal land to uh, in industry development, especially like oil and gas, will create a peak employment differential of 1.5 million jobs by 2035. Yeah, and then the other thing, and I've been talking about this for a while about destabilizing OPEC. If we have greater oil supplies, that keeps the prices from going up, which is OPEC's literally their greatest nightmare because it limits their ability to, number one, control the cartel, which is OPEC, because then countries get panically because they need the money. Um, but number two, it keeps OPEC from being able to put money back into their savings account. And it's not really a savings account. I know it's a wealth investment fund, but think of it as a savings account. They use that savings account every time they want to lower prices. Um, they they keep production or they increase production or whatever, and the price of crude goes down. But then OPEC has to dip into its savings account to run all its social problems. Well, if we can keep them from putting that money back in, that means they can only do that so many more times and they won't be able to do it. Once again, I think it's the, the beginning of the destabilization of, of, of OPEC. Um, but, you know, this whole, um, you know, shell revolution that has went on here in, in North America is not, that geology is not unique to the U.S. What's unique is our ability to get it out of the ground and make money at it. And the rest of the world, somewhere in the near future, will also be able to take advantage of this. So I, I'm pretty confident that, that you know, um, for the U.S. point of view, we're, we already have energy abundance, right? We're, we're energy net right now, and we can actually pass it up and actually be, you know, be an exporter of energy if we decide to do so. And it, once again, it helps destabilize some of the bigger um, oil and gas exporters that actually can affect our economy. So it's just good for everybody. So the next article kind of tacks onto that one as well. Uh, and the EMEA Investor of the Year uh, has predicted that Brent will be at $70 by the end of 2017, while most analysts and energy experts are predicting that we'll see roughly $55 to $60 barrel oil. Yeah, so EMEA, if anybody wants to know, is uh, uh, Europe, Middle East, and Africa. So, um, I, you know, that Brent crude is very particular. That's what comes out of the North Sea. The European refineries used to have a love affair for that stuff. In fact, that's all they refined. Now they're starting to uh, refine different crudes. Um, that Brett crude, it's, it's really is hard, Jake, for me to see it hitting $70 by the end of the year. It, it may go up to 65 or so. Um, but overall it, I, I still stick between 50 and $60 a barrel from, for now. And, and for a very long time, I would love to see it hit $70 a barrel. That would help the people in North sea, people in Norway and, um, Scotland and, um, you know, all the countries that, that depend on that revenue from the North sea. But, um, you know, it's just, it's hard, hard to think that's going to hit $70. I don't see it. I, maybe 65 But once again, I don't have a crystal ball. I'm not a professional, you know, a stock analyst, oil analyst. Um, so we'll see where it goes. Speaking of stocks, the next one is from CNBC. They're saying now is the time to invest in the Permian Basin. We've seen a significant amount of M&A activity. Uh, we talked about that pretty in depth. Uh, I think it was probably four or five episodes ago. Um, so in summary, if I had to just summarize it in one sentence, invest in companies who have a strong stake in the Permian. Yeah, there are a bunch of good companies in the Permian. Now, the problem about understanding where they're strong now means that their stock is doing okay, which means if you invest money now, you won't make as much money. The real geniuses figured this out a year or two ago, what companies were positioning themselves to be in a good place. <laughs> and they bought it when their stock was low. And now their stock goes up and they make money. So um, the funny thing about this is um, they, they talk about a couple of companies here that they would recommend. Um, they talk about uh, RSP Permian, Ring Energy, and Catalan Petroleum. Of those three 
Jake, I've not invested in any of them, so I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> I'm not obviously, I'm not. A, don't do this for a living. Um, but you know, some of the majors actually have 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 put a lot of money and resources in the Permian, and I've actually invested in them, and they're they're doing well. The Permian just is just a rock solid place. It's an easy place to get oil on the ground profitably. There's a lot of potential there. There's a lot of higher cost. There, low cost. The infrastructure's in place, and the infrastructure's growing. Um, and and you know. As you have, as we go through time, oil that was not recoverable for financial reasons because of a, some new technology like longer laterals or proppets instead of frac sand, which by the way, I finally learned why a proppet is better than frac sand in the right situation. I was talking to a geologist the other day. And what happens is, in case you don't know how the process works, and I know, please geophysicists, don't fuss me. I know I'm simplifying this. Um, but basically, when you frack, you, you basically drill. You drill laterally, you have, and then you, you punch holes in a pipe. You perforate the pipe, and then you basically pressurize uh, with water and sand, and, the, and it cracks the rock. It fractures the rock. That's where fracking, the word fracking came from. The sand gets in the cracks, and when you pump the water out, the cracks stay open because of the sand, and then you flow oil or gas or both. Well, the thing is, sand has a lower crushing strength than a propin. A propin is a man-made frack sand. And so on the very long laterals where you have a lot of pressure, the propins actually work better than sand. Where where you don't have a lot of pressure, sand is so much cheaper, it's better. So I know I went off in the deep in there. Most of my audience is probably snoring right now, but I was actually happy to learn the difference between propin and sands and why you use one and don't use the other. Um, and they use a lot of both in the Permian. But um, yeah, there's a lot of money to be made. And there's always money to be made in the oil and gas industry. And the people that were really smart saw the the, the potential in the Permian a couple of years ago and invested their money in the operators out there that were doing really good stuff. And so um, good article. Um, like I said, I wish I would have bought into these three they talked about last year, but I didn't. <laughs> that's funny jake <laughs> oh oh we're still recording <laughs> <laughs> that was a good one all right so spe- speaking of technology uh the next article is from enp mag uh innovation related to hydraulic fracturing dominates oil and gas patents so since 2006 we've seen nearly 1,000 patents related to fracking that have been filed in the u.s uh mostly technology tools or processes aimed at creating or reinforcing fractures and then in 2015 alone, we saw 160 of these patents. And then in 2017, even though we're only when we we're just not going into April, Schlumberger alone has been awarded 119 patents. Yeah, and didn't last week we have an article about somebody said there's really not new technologies coming in oil and gas? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're probably wrong there. Um, yeah, there's all kinds of stuff. And what's cool about this is is not just from an oil and gas production point of view, but think about from just a business point of view. You know, there are companies out there that do nothing but try to come up with business solutions, and then they fund them. Um, they like them to fail quickly, and then what they have left is in a viable business that they help stand on its feet. And then they, you know, if there's IP or patents, they 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 take that. And now you have a company that's making money, it has employees, and they then they try to exit, they try to sell it, have somebody else acquire it. Well, that's just business. That's not somebody that's actually really worried about oil and gas production. But if their business helps oil and gas production, they've created jobs and prosperity. And they've made money. And all these patents aren't just about frack sands and drill bits. It's it's all kinds of other science that goes along, you know, everything from um, treating the water to seismic monitoring um, to, you know, looking at different ways to analyze data. Um, I mean, just all kinds of really cool stuff that you normally would see in other businesses, but now 
companies out there with money and that have a, a, a appetite to actually do this sort of stuff are looking at oil and gas and go, here's a whole bunch of places where there's potential. I, you know, Jake, on the HS&E podcast, we recorded, uh, I think, last week at the Houston Innovation Conference. And I actually had a chance to... Um, uh, God, was, I actually had a chance to... We interviewed um, Jose uh, Guarda. He's uh, the Director of Technology Innovations with TransOcean. And him and I got off on a deep end about all the potential... Uh, problems that technology can solve in the oil and gas industry. And it's just millions and millions and millions of problems. And so there's so much opportunity for companies out there to come to the oil and gas industry, solve problems with a technology solution, make money for themselves and, you know, and help our industry. And it's just, it's really cool to see. This is a really good article. So when Deloitte's out there talking about all the different patents going on in, in hydraulic fracking, you know, that tells a whole story in itself. Did I lose you there too? No, I totally just blanked. I had something I was about to say, and then my mind just got completely wiped. Well, so um, so one of the things they talk about in this article, and this is really cool, is nanoparticles. So imagine, Jake, that instead of hydraulic fracking using sand of profits, imagine you had a bunch of nanoparticles that you could control. And so these nanoparticles could go in when you when you fracked and hold the cracks open. But as, as the production lowered... Um, they could exit themselves and go to another area. So literally, you would never pump sand or profits back in the well because the nanoparticles would do everything themselves. Then imagine something, as say that same well went into production. Now these nanoparticles could change their job. And they could come in and they could clean out the insights, all the pipes and the chokes and tubing if paraffin starts building up on it so that you could keep up with production. Then the nanoparticles could be identified. So when somebody buys that oil, they could tell what well it came out anywhere in the world, which means you could end the black market market for uh, oil and gas that's oil and gas that's stolen so i mean it means something as simple as nanoparticles could revolutionize this industry and companies are out there working on this right now which is, i just think is awesome yeah that's really cool all right what's next speaking of, speaking of innovation uh this next article is from oil and gas investor and they were kind of diving a little bit into um pwc did a recent survey of oil and gas ceos and this is something that we keep talking about um, they're saying that oil and gas innovation is key, and that's something that they're really focused on. But the thing that they're most worried about is finding skilled employees because they seem to be scarce. Yeah, and, and they are. And I think we've talked about it. I don't know if we talked about it on this show. We talked about it on the HSE show. Um, but, you know, Modal Point, my company, we do this survey every year of about 900 mid level managers in the oil and gas industry globally, in every part of the industry, every country that involves oil. And we asked them, if you look at your business for the next five years, look in the future next five years, what are you worried about the most? What's the biggest challenge to your business? And Jake, it's like something, it's a huge number of oil and gas leaders right now, even this low crude price environment, it's talent. There's not enough talent out there. There's not enough um, you know, people going to school to become engineers or electricians or project managers or data scientists or accountants that will come work in the oil and gas industry. And so, um, you know, it, there's going to be a technology solution to this, right? So we're going to do, start doing more automation of stuff. But the, there's going to be another war for talent like there always is. And the companies that understand how to retain that talent um, are going to pass up companies that don't. So typically in our industry, when there's a talent shortage, it, it becomes a firefight as far as, as pay, right? So this company offers 70, the next one offers 80, and pretty soon you have somebody that should be making $100,000 making $250,000 a year. Well, that's going to change this downturn. Um, 
the companies out there have learned they have to retain their core talent and retaining talent is not, you know, this would be a good time for to have Lee Heck and Harrison on because they could probably speak about it much better than I, but retaining talent, it's not about how much you pay in them. It's how you treat your employees. Do you have a clear career path for them? Do they feel challenged? Do they feel like they're contributing to stuff? And so our industry is going to have to change that because there's just not enough crucial talent out there. And if you can't retain who you have and you let your competitors pick it up in an industry that's so uh, engineering centric, you know, you have companies go out of business because of that. So a good article, PwC, I know a couple people over there, I may actually reach out to them, see if we can get the, the actual data set. Cause I'd like to come back and revisit this. Yeah, that'd be really cool. So the last article is just kind of a fun one. Kind of ran across this as I was, uh, you know, looking for news articles. It's talking about the wealthiest oil and gas billionaires in the U S you know, I think as both of us as entrepreneurs, eh, it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool to see this see people who've uh, gone before us and succeeded and done really well for themselves. Um, you know, we see a lot of like uh, tech billionaires and finance billionaires. You know, you've got people like Bill Gates, obviously of Microsoft and Warren Buffett. And then this week you had like Jeff Bezos who rose to the number two spot um, for the first time ever. And if you don't know that who that is, Jeff Bezos is the CEO and founder of Amazon, which we buy, I know you and I buy almost all oh, of our stuff from Amazon. I, I just spent ungodly amount of money literally today at Amazon. I, I love Amazon, yeah. yeah. It's just too, it's too convenient. And plus Amazon knows everything that I want at all times. Uh, but anyways, we can talk about Amazon another time. Um, so we've got 12 oil and gas billionaires from Texas alone. Um, at the number eight spot, Charles and David Koch from Koch Enterprises worth $48.3 billion. That's a lot of money. Yeah, it is a lot uh, of money. Harold Hamm at the 87 spot. He was the founder of uh, Continental Resources, $13 billion. At uh, the 194th spot, Rich Kinder of Kinder Morgan. I'm sure everybody knows that name. Uh, 7.1 billion. At 261, Dan Duncan of Enterprise Pipeline Partners, 5.7 billion. And then at the 339 is Rayleigh Hunt of Hunt Consolidated, 4.7 billion. And then there's a whole bunch more, but I don't want to list them all off. Just thought that was cool. Cool information. You know what's cool about this? So I, I actually know several of these people. We're not buddies, um, but I know them. We run in the same political circles. And, and they still, even though they're this wealthy, they still get in the morning and put their boots on. And I mean boots. <laughs> and they go to work and they get stuff done. Um, in fact, a couple of these guys, I know you wouldn't know, if you didn't know what they look like, if you entered their office, you wouldn't know that they're the CEO or the president of the company. They're out in the field somewhere helping them load a truck. And I'm not, I'm not making this up. Or, or they're with their IT guys trying to figure out what's the best way to you know, bring on this new part of their business. I mean, they're all very hands-on. And so you're right. It's kind of cool to see somebody's hard work and sweat you know, pay off in the end, you end up making the, you know, uh, you end up making the list of the wealthiest oil and gas billionaires in the U.S. Because this is a hard industry um, to consistently perform well in. And so these guys yeah. that do this and consistently perform well, you know, hats off for them for, for making sure they're doing their jobs that keeps all of their thousands and thousands of employees working, uh, keeps them with health insurance, you know, adds, pays taxes in whatever community they operate in. And all of these uh, that are on this list, I know are heavily involved in giving back to the community. So good little list. Um, maybe Jake eventually uh, uh, will make it up here. I hope so, man. We can shoot for something, right? Yeah, we can shoot for something. So good articles, really good job. This is probably the time when we need to uh, congratulate somebody for winning the Red Wing Offshore Bag. Jake, somebody offered me, this is a, this is a new record, somebody offered me $700 for one of those bags. 
Up to $700? $700. And we're not doing it. It's not ethical. Although at $700, I did think about it twice, but nope, not going to do it. Maybe Red Wings should start selling these for well, like six, $700 on Amazon well, or something. Well, Jake, you and I both know how to do this. We just go to China, have them reverse engineered, have them manufactured. <laughs> <laughs> and we would never do that. We would never do that. Um, but anyway, this week's winner is Ian Fox. is associate at Fortress Investment Group. Uh, congratulations, Ian. It's, um, this is, you won the awesome offshore bag. If anybody in the audience would like to win one, and we know you do because you'll keep reaching out to us trying to get one without uh, actually entering, it's really ridiculously easy. Go to redwingshoes.com forward slash podcast. That's redwingshoes.com forward slash podcast. Enter your information. We pull one lucky winner a week, except for the weeks that we skip a show, and then we pull two, but technically it's still one a week. Um, see official site for rules and details. Up next is a weekly rig count. We are up 20 for a total of 809 rigs. I'm telling you, Jake, 1,300 by the end of the year. Watch. I think it's going to happen. <laughs> yeah, Events on deck. So we um, have something new that I have not checked out yet, but it looks really cool. It's called the Business Connection Club. The first meeting is April 5th. They're going to be meeting in the Shell Building and the Houston Club. Um, it's a group of nonprofit executives that believe that business is is doesn't exist in oil and gas unless you connect people. So what they're trying to do is build an environment to connect people um, in person. So once a month, they'll have a, a meeting um, at One Shell Plaza. Um, they'll bring in um, not just sales guy, but executives, entrepreneurs, you know, professionals from the oil and gas industry to share ideas, help you make connections. Um, I haven't checked it out, but it seems really cool. Jake will stick a link in the show notes if you want to go check it out. I think it's a small fee for it, but you get uh, dinner and cocktails for that. And then we have um, a couple of things going on with, with the API Young Professionals, don't we? Yep. So we got two events. Uh, one is the April Lunch Series on Tuesday, April 27th from 1130 to 1230 at the Zydeco Louisiana Diner with speaker Adam something, uh, the Vice President of Human Resources at Cameron International. And then the second one is the Training Development Center Tour on Tuesday, May 23rd from 830 a.m. to 1030 a.m. at Baker Hughes. Um, so both of those should be a lot of fun. Um, there is going to be limited space for both of those. So if you want to lock down a spot, just RSVP as soon as you can. And I'll put a link in the show notes as well. Yeah. And if you want to know about these type of events ahead of time, plus plenty more, plus get free passes to OTC. It's really simple. I got a monthly newsletter. Jake put a link in the show notes for it. You sign up. We never spam you once a month. We put the newsletter in your inbox with all the oil and gas events that are going on and stuff that actually the public isn't aware of. And sometimes you get free passes to stuff. So take a couple minutes, go sign up. You'll be so happy you did. We have a first Friday Q and a coming up. We had to think about it because we record this show on Saturday and which should this be first Friday Q and a it's like, no, cause that was still March. So it's actually coming up next week. we got a bunch of good questions. We love your questions. If you'd like to submit a question for first Friday Q and a, it's very simple. Go to oilandgasthisweek.com. Uh, and click on ask a question button. Uh, Jake also put a link in this show note so you can go directly there. And we've gotten some really good questions. So we've got some really hard questions. Um, then if you like the show, please, please, please leave us a review. You know, we ask you for this all the time, but y'all actually listen <laughs> as opposed to me and Patrick where we ask for reviews and nobody gives us any. <laughs> I don't What's the no difference? Love. Yeah, what's the difference? This audience does stuff and our other audience doesn't. Anyway, so Jake, we got some reviews you want to read about? Read? Yeah, we got a few new ones. Uh, a couple five-star reviews. One is from FBHO, a great podcast. As a process operator at an oil refinery on the West Coast, I find this podcast to be both entertaining and informative. I enjoy listening to the show on my way to and from work. Great job, fellas. Yeah, thank you. The next one is from Elliot Eitz. As a newcomer to the oil industry, this podcast has provided great insight into current events in the industry. 
so that I can partake in intelligible conversations with my coworkers. My one suggestion is that it would be really cool if you did dedicated episodes on hot topics such as how the Trump administration will affect the industry or the Dakota Access Pipeline. Dividing, diving into those topics a little deeper will be really interesting. Nonetheless, great podcast and keep up the good work. Yeah, you know, I've had people ask us that before. We'll, we'll let, let us work on this. It may be something we do as, as a quarterly or as a value add or something, but we've had that come up before. So, yeah, we'll, we'll take that in consideration. Thank you. All right, so please leave us a review. We'll give you a big shout-out on the air, and if you have a funny handle, it'll just be even better. Um, if you like this show, go join our LinkedIn group. It's the the sister to all the podcasts out there, so Oil & Gas Global Network. Um, really good place. It's all moderated by uh, Paige Wilson, who is our future host of Oil & Gas Industry Leaders. And Jake, that show is going to launch live from the OTC floor from the Caterpillar. And Jake, we've talked about this before, she's given away $200 steak dinners. It just... Just, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go sign up myself and win a steak dinner. I might have to. <laughs> yeah, and then finally, if you like the show, can you do us a favor and share it. You know, social media, the all company email blast, whatever. It really is helpful when our audience helps us grow grow our our exposure. Um, you have the friends, you have the connections, you know who would benefit from this. So just let them know we're here. Uh, we'll we will love if you would actually do that for us. Um, other than that, Jake, is there anything else we need to talk about? That about covers it, man. Yeah, you ready to get out of here? Hey folks, do great work, pay it forward, and we will see you next time.